My name is Bill Mead, and I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here. Um, our senior pastor asked me to be here today because he is away honoring his dear wife, Joanne. He announced it last Sunday, but four months ago, she said, could you come with me because I'm going to be receiving an award at my business? And he said yes. So he is missing what I think about today is an incredible family moment. We get the privilege today of, of hearing from one of our family members, Dr. Jeff Leo. I asked him because I couldn't remember 13 years or thereabouts that he is he and his wife, Lisa, Emma, Jesse, have been here. Well, Jesse hasn't been here 13 years, sorry. Um, but they've been here as a family for 13 years. This is what I think about Jeff. One, he loves God's word. If you know him and get to know him, you know that's a true statement. He loves, his, he loves God's word. He's the national director of uh, theology formation for InterVarsity uh, Fellowship USA. Secondly, through the years, I've known, Jeff, you are an evangelist. You love the story of salvation to be told. You live that out, and you look for ways to do that. Thirdly, he is a man that serves God. He has served on this staff at one point. He serves faithfully as a church member. So he serves the God he loves. So Jeff, come, bring the word to us. Give him an applause. It's good to be with you. Uh, thanks to Pastor Matthew for entrusting this task to me. I hope he doesn't regret it. <laughs> he has said so many kind things uh, in the past few weeks. He was really trying to boost the class that I was leading on original languages for everyday readers. Uh, thanks to the 30 of you, 40 of you that hung on for all four weeks and got a little bit of Greek knowledge. Or um, some of you said to me, like, I'm not sure I know how to do anything now, but at least I appreciate the Bible more. That's good enough for me. I'm fine with that. Um, because I do love God's word. It has changed my life. It continues to, to direct me day by day. But I learned to love it from someone else. You know, I learned to love it from all the mentors that I've had. And I'm really happy to reflect this morning on all the mentors that have shaped me. Some of them have sat in these pews. Uh, I think all the way back to uh, Tom. Tom was the first person to evaluate a sermon that I gave. But he also taught me how to love hymns and to sing loud. I think about Melody. Melody taught me how to pray using the scriptures. But she also taught me that black coffee could be good. <laughs> think about Dave and how he taught me the, just the nuts and bolts of ministry, but he also helped me to laugh at myself when he would sing mocking songs about me and how I never turned in a monthly report because he was my boss. I think about Rich, who taught me how to be a theologian, but he also taught me how to tell a story from my heart 
and I am indebted to him for that. I think about love, who taught me how to interpret the scriptures, but also how to bring my whole self into the task of ministry. I think about Lisa, who taught me how to be thorough and considerate of every angle in theology, but also how to endure suffering. I think about these mentors, and I want you to think about the ones that have shaped you, the ones who have directly, most impactfully made a mark on your life and changed the course of it, shaped your character, molded you. Because today we're thinking about what it means to pass on your leadership to the next generation. And of course, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about my dad. You met him a few Easter's ago, maybe like, I don't know, six, seven Easter's ago. He was up there in the baptismal. I was doing my best not to cry um, as I baptized him. That was a wonderful time, and you know, I think about all the ways in which he shaped me, and there's this, actually there's a song that I, I hope you don't mind, I'd, I'd like to just uh, share it with you. A song that really captures, sorry camera folks, sorry uh, audio folks, I'm, I'm traveling. <laughs> it, it captures how I feel about my dad, and um, you know, he, he used to have us, uh, actually just real quick, He'd wake us up on Sunday mornings by turning on the intercom. You know, our little house in Oklahoma had an intercom. He'd just blast the intercom. And he would play, you know, 92.3 or something like that, and it was like easy listening. But we got a lot of folk music into us, and so here's, here's the song that really stuck out to me. It's, uh, you know, I, I grew up on Jim Croce and the Carpenters, and, and uh, so here's a Dan Fogelberg one. Only child alone and wild, a cabinet maker's son, whose hands were meant for different work, and his heart was known to none. He left his home and went his lone and solitary way. He gave to me a gift I know. I never can repay Chorus goes like this Leader of the band is tired And his eyes are growing old But his blood runs through my instrument And his song is in my soul My life has been poor attempt to imitate the man just a living legacy to the leader of the My dad comes from a traditional Taiwanese family, and I, had, I can count on two fingers the number of times I have told him that I love him. I hope he knows. I guess that's three now, huh? That one's a little indirect, but um, I've learned a lot about what it means to be a person, what, what it means to care about a community from him. 
And all of us are trying to shape the people, the next generation down by the way that we live, by the opinions that we speak loudly. We're trying to shape people. We're all trying to shape people. So, you know, when we are attempting to pass down our legacy, I want us to be guided by God's word. So brothers and sisters, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? This is what the word of God says in Numbers chapter 27, verses 15 to 23. Moses spoke to the Lord saying, let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint someone over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in so that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep without a shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit, and lay your hand upon him. Have him stand before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation and commission him in their sight. You shall give him some of your authority so that all the congregation of the Israelites may obey. But he shall stand before the Eleazar the priest who shall inquire for him by the decision of the Urim before the Lord. At his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in, both he and all the Israelites with him, the whole congregation. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and had him stand before Eleazar the priest and the whole congregation. He laid his hands on him and commissioned him as the Lord directed through Moses. We also have John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Let's pray. God, thanks for your word. We ask that you illuminate our minds and hearts now that we might obey it. Give to us the sound pattern of teaching this morning and we pray that you would wipe away anything that I do or say that is not becoming of the word we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So I'd like to show you around this morning's Old Testament passage first because, you know, when we talk about Moses to Joshua, there's some things that don't really apply, okay? So I, I want to be really careful about that. I'll give you an example. You know the saying, sheep without a shepherd, right? It's worked its way into our common English parlance, right? But when you look at the way it's used in 1 Kings 22, the prophet Micaiah is using it there to indicate that the people of God, he's prophesying over Israel, and he says that they're going to be defeated, and they're going to be scattered like sheep without a shepherd. And this language about coming in and going out, coming in and going out, that Joshua is supposed to lead the people in coming in and going out, all of that's actually military language. Now, um, I've heard someone say that 
Chick-fil-A customer service has benefited from some kind of military precision. And maybe that's true, but I think of church leadership as pretty different than military leadership, at least the kind that I know about from TV commercials, stuff like that. I mean, what do I really know? Our veterans can tell us more. But this difference is actually important because we're not going to talk about church leadership or the leadership of God's people the way that we talk about military leadership because we're not in the conquest. We're not about to enter into Canaan and slay the giants. That's not what we're about to do. So hang on to that disconnect, okay? Because we're going to come back to it in just a second. Let me talk to you about the ways in which this passage actually does resonate, at least the way I see it. Moses calls out to God. And he uses a very peculiar phrase that he only uses twice. He says, Yahweh, the God of the spirits of all flesh. And he's used this once before in the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 16, verse 20. And it's there that Moses feels like the people of God are facing an extinction-level event. And so he calls out to the God who is in control of all of the breath inside of us. God who knows all of life, you're in charge of this thing, and we're facing an extinction-level crisis. That kind of resonates with me a little bit when I think about the church, okay? I've been listening to folks talk about the state of Christianity and the exodus of young people, especially the next generation in the church. I've even done some teaching on it myself because I work with young people. And some folks are saying that the sky is falling because people are leaving. And others, people, other, other folks are saying everything's fine because overall the numbers are holding pretty steady. And it's not really clear which data set you're supposed to believe. But I cling to two truths in this matter. The first one is that God has promised, God has promised to bring his glorious work to a fruitful conclusion through the church around the world. Here's the hard fact of the matter. If it doesn't happen here at Lake or in North America, I'm okay with that. Because things are going on around the world. And God and God's wisdom can do as God pleases. In fact, the denomination that I belong to just welcomed like a dozen congregations from Venezuela that popped up out of nowhere. It was pretty amazing. Thank you. I'm going to switch over to this guy. So God is doing a work around the world. We've known for decades now that the global center of Christianity has left North America. It's elsewhere now. And so I'm on board. I'm on board with what God's doing around the world. The second promise. Brothers and sisters, we are not here to maintain an empire of straw, but to usher in and pray in an imperishable kingdom. I'm not worried even if my heart is troubled, I'm trusting in God. Who knows what God is doing? So those are some of the ways in which the passage kind of does resonate and doesn't. But I started looking at the context around the passage, and I actually became a little nervous. And I asked the Lord, oh, gosh, do you really want me to preach this message? Matthew, wherever you are, Las Vegas, congratula congratulations to Joanne again. You conveniently cut out the verses right before this passage. And, you know, it's, it's not as pretty if you read the two verses before. In verses 12 through 14, God reminds Moses that he's not going to make it into the promised land. He can look at it. 
but he can't come in because of his disobedience in the desert. In verses 1 through 11 of the same chapter, 27, it's all about the rules for how to inherit land, and in particular, how women inherit land because those rules hadn't been established. In chapters 22 through 25, it's all about this devious attempt by the prophet Balaam and the Amorites to steal God's, uh, God's people's inheritance from them by enticing them to idolatry. It's about the inheritance. All of chapter 26 is one of those chapters that nobody wants to read because it's a list of names. But at the very end of that chapter, it says this in verse 64, among these, there was not one of those enrolled by Moses and Aaron the priest who had enrolled the Israelites in the wilderness. Basically, he's saying, all the folks who were alive when Israel was set free from Egypt, they're not around anymore. Think about that for a second, okay? No one was left who had seen God liberate the Hebrews by sending plagues that decimated Egypt's evil, unjust slave economy. They hadn't seen it. No one was left who had crossed the Red Sea on dry land, witnessing the power of God just summarily dispatch Pharaoh's forces. Only a few people left who had seen that. These incredible acts, they just became stories and rituals and rituals that told the stories. But the original folks were gone. Now, I want to be clear. These stories are stories to be believed. They're stories to be loved. I believe them and I love them. And I've tried for years to find ways to convince folks that these are our stories. This is the story of my people by faith. And I want to live into those stories. I think it's actually the story that my daughter Emma knows best because of the DVD we watched crossing the country about 50 times. So she knows that story. But there is a disconnect that happens in this story and in our stories. There's a disconnect from one generation to the next. You feel it, right? Like the next generation and you, it can be difficult to connect sometimes. I should be looking over here too, right? Like you and the generations above you. It can be difficult to connect sometime, right? I'm learning how uncool I am because I am, quote, old. I'm told on a daily basis, my skin is getting thicker and I'm gonna be fine. But some days I really feel how uncool I am. I promise I'm not fishing for sympathy. And in fact, it's not, it's actually, it's, it's not all pain, okay? It, there, there's some lighthearted moments. Um, the generational disconnect can actually be an opportunity to hope for what God is doing in the next generation. I'll, I'll give you some examples that I think are helpful to me. Maybe the next generation doesn't need to feel what it's like to walk to school five miles in the snow both ways. Maybe the next generation doesn't need to remember what it's like to be disappointed when Blockbuster doesn't have the VHS that you really wanted. <laughs> and I was gonna show this picture of my son's homework, um, which I found hilarious, um, but I, I forgot to send it early, but he brought home homework when he was in elementary school one day, and the exercise was just to put the punctuation in the sentence. And listen to this sentence, okay? Some of you are gonna get it. Mother shouted, I've got the phone, you can hang up now. 
Okay, all right. Yeah, it just takes a second. And I asked my son again last night, and he's like, oh, yeah, that's like old phones? Yeah. <laughs> that's what that is. That's old phones. You know, sometimes the disconnect can be an opportunity for hope because I don't want them to have to experience dial-up. You know, like that's just, we can do better. But what I'm trying to say is, when we have these stories, and we love them, they're precious to us, right? And they remind us of God's faithfulness, the way God worked in our lives. It reminds us what God can do. But when we're not around anymore, this is the part that I wanted to be delicate about, when we're not around anymore, brothers and sisters, I want to reassure you, God is going to do new things. God's going to do new things. It's going to be okay because God has promised to work in his church to bring about his purposes to a glorious conclusion. So this leads to my fundamental question. If it's not our brand of Christianity, our stories that we're passing down, what is it that we're passing down? What are we supposed to do? Well, let me start with the stuff I don't think we're supposed to pass on from the Scripture. Let me come back around to the disconnect that I think I feel with the text. On the one hand, it is not job one to go conquering lands. So whatever you feel about NorCal-SoCal rivalry, right, or whatever I feel about how Michigan should just annex Ohio, <laughs> like, that doesn't matter because that's not what we're doing here, right? We're not passing on a kingdom of land. It's not job number one. Don't get me wrong, it's wonderful that we have this place of worship. It really is. There's been some really smart, financially-minded people who've worked very hard to give us a secure financial future here at this church. But I gotta tell you, I don't think it's job one for me to stand here and to chant the address of this place. In fact, let me just turn to you folks, the young folks. I used to work with young folks here. Um, let me ask you this question. What do you want to inherit from this place? When you look around this place, when you walk around this campus, what do you want to say, I want that? I want that to be mine. Think about that for a second. Is there anything you want from this place? Is it the building? That's fine. Listen, that's fine. Just remember, it comes with a mortgage. <laughs> right? Is it, the, the, is it this organ, this magnificent organ that I love? That's also fine. In fact, my next door neighbor is a part of a shrinking guild of people, artisans, who repair the organs in Southern California, including this one. And I love it when he comes over and borrows my tools so that he can do repairs here. And I want him to stay in business. I want him to flourish. I, I, I think supporting the arts is a wonderful thing. But is this what you want to inherit? Or is it something else? And I'm not going to answer the question for you, but what I'm going to ask you to do, all right? What I'm going to ask you to do, young folks, I'm going to ask you to lean into this church and tell the leaders, the ministry council, the hired folks, tell them what it is that you want to inherit. What do you want to say? That's mine. I've had the privilege of knowing a lot of the folks who lead this place, and I know that they want to know. They want to know what you want to inherit. But they're going to need you. They're going to need you to make it happen. That's why I'm asking you to lean in. 
And there are folks around you who have worked to do that. I think of Jonathan and Melody Ophelia who've done that. I think of Maddie Crowley who's done that. And before them, I think of Peter Gazanian and Christina Wolford. I can't really see you because that light is blinding me, but you know, I, I know you're over there somewhere. So I'm asking you to lean into this church and claim your inheritance. Don't let anyone take it from you. And you might not have thought to yourself, gee, there's something I want to ask for. But pluck up the boldness to ask for what rightfully belongs to you. I'll give you some options here as we continue in the text. Well, we're not talking about land. What we are talking about. In the wisdom and goodness of God, Jesus Christ in his own flesh has brought Gentiles from every land, not just one land, but every land, close to God his Father and grafted us into the family tree, Ephesians 2, so that now the gospel must be preached to every land, to the ends of the earth. So let the nations, all nations, be glad and sing with joy, Psalm 67. God can even speak to a people in exile because the land isn't the only place where God can go. They're carried, um, they carried the goodness of God with them wherever they went because God's love rested upon them. Even in the strange land, God's law was written on their hearts, Jeremiah 31. Jesus is the true Israel, the Prince of Peace who brings healing to the sick and freedom to the captives. He is good news of great joy for all people. Luke chapter 2. Got to hold off. It's not Advent yet, but Luke quotes the prophet Joel, saying God has poured out his spirit on all flesh so that there would be no place in all the earth without a witness to the goodness of God. And listen to me now. If you're looking for your place in making sure the gospel goes to all nations, can I ask you to consider InterVarsity's Urbana Student Missions Conference that takes place every three years. It's happening this December. Some of you have been there. A bunch of years ago, we took a busload of 50 people to Urbana, and that was a wonderful opportunity that you made possible. But so that we would live into the reality that we are not confined to a single place, the gospel doesn't live here at Lake Avenue Church, but it goes to the ends of the earth when we want to live that reality out, that's got to change the way you spend your time and energy. Human boundaries, including the four walls here, cannot contain or restrict the love of God. And if it does, God's love will drain from this place so fast, and it will find its way to where it needs to go. So let's end with this. What are the lessons that we need to learn about leadership from Joshua? There's basically three. So now I'm talking to the folks who are actually leaders here. You know, I think when I was working here on staff, I couldn't say this, but now I can. I can say whatever I want. No, I can only say what the scriptures teach. Joshua is learning lessons about leadership here. It's clear in the text to me. Number one, his leadership is on behalf of the people. It's on behalf of the people. He didn't hatch some scheme. 
He loved the people as Moses loved the people. That's why he got frustrated with the people because he cared for the destiny of the people. So Joshua, what did he do? He was going to stand before God and the priest Eleazar and consult God because he cared for the people. A leader consults God. Joshua would do it in the traditional way. And listen, I have personally never known a time as unstable and uncertain as the one we currently live in. I mean, I'm not that old, so, uh, you know, others of you can talk about that. So I'm going to talk about next-gen leaders, but I'll, the opposite, I'll call them last-gen leaders, okay? So some of y'all are last-gen leaders, and I want you to know that last-gen leaders, if you've heard from God in intercessory prayer, like, you know how to pray. I'm looking at you, Osbed, Lois, others, Lori. Will you teach the next generation? What would we do if we didn't have intercessors? Second, leaders who are worth following will stand before God and God's people. This word, before, happens so many times. You heard me emphasize it as I tried to read the text. Joshua had to stand before the priest. And then he had to stand before the people. It really gives you this sense that there was a kind of mutuality that existed between God's people and the leader God had chosen. The people would obey. The people would obey. But they get to watch Joshua. They get to watch him. So last-gen leaders, those of you who have refused backroom dealing, will you tear down the curtain so that the next gen can see how the sausage is made and not wonder? Third, Leaders who are worth following, they accept the authority of God's Spirit. Now listen, just because Joshua was filled with the Spirit, it doesn't mean like when someone's filled with the Spirit that they get to shoot magical powers out of their fingertips. We don't use the Holy Spirit. We are taken captive by the Holy Spirit to do God's will. That's a complete difference. To say, I have the Spirit too, is not a power play for us to use. And just because you have a bunch of degrees like me, it doesn't mean you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Same is true if you lead a successful business. Same is true even by the number of years you've been around this place. It doesn't mean you're filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit means you are taken captive for God's purposes. That's different. Authority comes from God's Spirit. Pastor Matthew said he doesn't trust academic theologians. Fine. <laughs> he said that he trusts evangelists. Also fine. Me? I trust people who have let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also. They've paid a high price to follow Jesus. And you can tell they have forsaken everything, clinging only to God in order to follow the Spirit's leading. Last-gen leaders, for whom that is true, will you, who have counted the cost of discipleship, show us how to get over ourselves for the sake of God's people? This is why Peter had to be told to feed God's sheep. No more resisting, Peter. You refuse to go into a Gentile home despite God's leading. Get over yourself 
and seek the way that God is going. Sorry, Peter, I know I'm going to meet you one day. I know we give you a hard time a lot, but bear with me. No more hiding, Peter. Trying to do reputational damage control by denying the Lord? Get over yourself and stand before God and God's people in the light. No more fighting, Peter. Trying to use the sword to bring God's kingdom. Get over yourself. Put down your power and accept the Spirit's authority. Even if, as Jesus prophesied, you will stretch out your hands and people will lead you where you do not want to go, prophesying Peter's death. So, brothers and sisters, you and I know the kingdom doesn't come into this world by our forcefulness. Every parent who is waiting on God to intervene in your children's lives, you know that the kingdom doesn't come by force. And we see you, and we feel that with you. Brothers and sisters, we know the kingdom doesn't come into this world by our cleverness. God uses foolish things of the world to outsmart the best church growth strategies and marketing. Brothers and sisters, the kingdom doesn't come into this world by our creativity. No matter how much content you make, no, much, no matter how much social influence you seek, um, the kingdom doesn't come that way. Now listen, I'm not saying everybody's got to delete their social media accounts, because I'm not going to do that. But the algorithm doesn't love you. In fact, at the risk of sounding a little bit dramatic, we know the algorithm is designed to feed you dopamine and take you captive and to profit over how bad you feel about yourself. The algorithm is designed to do exactly that, but you know who loves you? God loves you. Jesus loves you. Even when you're doom scrolling at night, Jesus loves you because the Father knit you together, and God's Spirit is calling out to you. In fact, God's Spirit is calling out to all of you, someone here today, who has yet to enter into the life of God in this place, God is calling out to you by God's Spirit. And the leaders of God's people, if you truly lead according to this passage, these leaders will take you to pastures where you can feast on the love of God in Christ and find healing and rest for your soul. As a fellow pew sitter, that's my hope for this place. And I'm so glad to walk with so many of you who desire the same, a church that's a place of healing. I'm gonna pray here in just a moment, and I'm gonna ask you to join your hearts with me so that we would see, I mean, Matthew's calling it a murmuration. We need a move, a powerful move of the Spirit to make this place the kind of place that will be a place of healing and prayer for all nations worth the next generation's time and trust. Would you pray with me? Thanks for Joshua. I'm personally thankful that um, Pastor Matthew doesn't have to have expert military training in order to be uh, a leader. But God, we pray for each leader in this church to be taken captive 
to be conquered themselves by your spirit. That they would be at war with you no longer, that their schemes and their plans, even their best intentions, Lord, that you would wipe that away and replace it with your heart, your wisdom, your word, your leading. We pray for the future of this place. We pray for the next generation in the room. Fill them. Fill them with your spirit, O oh God, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.